Generation Church, based in the beautiful Rex Theater in the heart of downtown Pensacola, Florida. Our hope is that today's teaching will encourage and equip you to be firm in faith, to fulfill the call of God in your life, and to finish well. Grab your Bible, open up your notes app, and let's dive in. A reading from the book of Luke, chapter 15. And he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older brother was in the field, and he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you. I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your younger brother was dead. And is alive. He was lost and is found. This is the word of God. Amen. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Kyle, for the reading of God's word. Good morning, everyone. Good morning uh, to uh, you guys who are joining us online. We hope this service is an encouragement to you. So, did you hear the one about? It's partly what some of the people who were listening to Jesus back in the days were saying to each other as they were hearing Jesus telling many stories. Jesus was in the habit of using stories, parables, to convey a specific message about the kingdom of God. And so as they were sitting at Jesus' teaching, they would hear these different parables, which are life stories with a heavenly meaning, as we heard from Pastor Brian last week on the parable of a sower. And they would retell the story by saying to their friends, hey, did you hear the one about? So this morning, did you hear the one about the prodigal son? How many of you in this room have heard this parable before? I can see that it's the majority of this room, and it's great. It's a powerful story that we're going to dive into. And I'm sure that for most of you, when you've heard this parable uh, for the first time, or maybe many times growing up in church or not, you've 
heard this parable being used in a context of evangelism, where maybe during a, a Sunday night service focused on evangelism, the preacher would use this story as a way to uh, encourage people to come back home, people who have wandered off the faith or been uh, very far away from God to repent, come back, and be uh, forgiven by the Father. And it's an awesome message, and by all means, I want to celebrate the message of this parable. But this morning, I want us to, to, to take a little bit of a different look at this parable that uh, maybe you and I have been used to. And one of the things that is really important for us to uh, do well when we hear a parable, uh, these stories that Jesus was using, is um, to remember the audience that Jesus was speaking to when using this story. So we need to be aware of the context in which the story was told, and we also need to be aware of the main point that Jesus was making in the story. Otherwise, we may fall in a trap of wanting to uh, discover hidden meanings between each line and behind each character. Jesus is really speaking in the language of people in the streets, and he's using uh, real-life examples that would relate to people. But he's drawing them in, trying to prove something very, very important about the kingdom of God. And we get a really good clue about who Jesus is speaking to when we see the first two verses in Luke 15. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So Jesus is speaking to two groups of people here. We have, on one hand, the tax collectors and the sinners who were considered the immoral outsiders, and on the other hand, we have the Pharisees and the scribes, which were religious leaders, experts in the law, considered moral insiders. But I would argue that he is specifically speaking to people um, who were criticizing him. And we read, this man receives sinners and eats with them. He's been criticized by these religious leaders for hanging out with the wrong crowd. Now, when you read the gospel... We see often uh, Jesus having a complicated relationship with those religious authorities. Because you see those scribes, those Pharisees, had been taught all their life how to obey God, how to follow the rule to the T. And to prevent people from breaking the law, those Pharisees had created extra boundaries, extra lines around the law to make sure that no one would even come close to break God's command. So they were very careful about not coming close to the unclean people, people who were outcast, people who were sick, people who were perceived by society as um, shameful. And they were really appalled to see Jesus spending time with them, breaking bread with them. And Jesus did that on purpose, not because he wanted to offend because one of the main ways you would show love and acceptance back in the days was to recline at people's table by being invited and by inviting in. And that's the way Jesus was showing love and the real meaning of the law, which was not just to observe the law. The real meaning behind all the commands of God was first and foremost to love God with all your heart, your mind, and soul, and to love your neighbor as yourself. You see, it's all about loving your neighbor and Jesus was showing that in a very practical way. But it was so irritating and confusing and frustrating for these religious leaders who were 
paying a lot of attention about the details of what is clean, what is unclean, who were in the habit of pointing fingers at people who were clearly uh, in the wrong. And so he's being criticized, and to respond to that criticism, he's telling, he's telling them three stories. We have a story of the lost sheep, the story of the lost coin, and the story of the prodigal son. And each story has a main point. It's about the joy of finding which was lost, that which was lost, of the return. And so this morning, we're going to focus on this prodigal son. Did you hear the one about the prodigal son? So I want to focus on the three characters that are in the stories, the older brother, the younger brother, and the father. And I want to start by looking at the older brother because he is often the one who is the most overlooked in the story. But he is present in his parable to redefine sin and what it means to be lost. We read in Luke 15 and 28, the older brother was angry and refused to go in to celebrate with the other people to uh, partake in the celebration. And we understand that this older brother is angry, he is pouting, he is grumpy because he had served his father all his life. He had devoted a lot of energy in making sure he was faithful. And what he sees in front of him is something that seems not fair, where the father is killing the fattened calf, restoring dignity to a younger son who has spent everything on sinful living. And here is the older brother outside, not understanding why there is grace being shown, there is celebration when he himself had never received that before. And the father goes out to him and argues with him and tries to convince him to come back in. But we see that clearly on the inside, the older brother has a, has a heart issue, has a, a heart that's been really affected by sin. And that's the point that Jesus is wanting to make is that you can be physically in. And the Pharisees and the scribes were in. I mean, they, they were really part of a community of God. They were teaching people. They had been brought up memorizing every verses in the Torah. They knew everything about God. They were considered the moral insiders, the ones who had the most insights about what it means to walk with God. So they were physically in, but Jesus is telling them through this story, you may think you're physically in, but you're spiritually out. And that's so uh, sad for us to see that in this story, but it should also challenge us this morning to think about our own personal lives and the way sometimes we can be brought up in a very comfortable environment of Christianity, this kind of subculture that we can find in a, in a Bible belt or other context. Uh, or maybe this is your own personal life. You were brought up in church all your life with good parents, good siblings, good situation. You've made some awesome choices about uh, your career, your education, who you should marry, how to behave with your kids and your workers. And you really, everything on the outside looks good. Like you're, you're in. Like that's it. You're part of a, of a good clan. Yet, you can have all these things figured out, but you still be spiritually out because your heart is rotten in the inside. And that's the point is Jesus is making by picturing this older brother being out. And the tragedy of his story is that the, it ends with the younger brother coming back in and the older brother coming out. So it's an upside down um, turn of events 
that we see in this story. And the main lesson we um, get from the older brother's condition is that sin is not just an outward condition, it's a heart issue. It's not just what you see on the outside. You see, you and I are really quick to notice the gross sins you know, that everybody is talking about, that society uh, is talking about, that we notice really well in, in the church life. You know, like sexual, sexual immorality, addictions, and unfaithfulness, and all these things. Yeah, we're really quick to notice that. But are we really quick to notice what's going on inside our hearts? The really real motives behind our actions, behind our words, behind the way we behave with our spouses and our children and our co-workers. So it's not just an outward condition, it's a heart issue. And here are some common signs of a, a heart that's sick. It includes, first of all, a poor relationship with the father. What's really striking in the story is that the older brother will, will tell his dad in verse 29, Look, these many years I have served you. I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. He's claiming something here, and he's missing out on a relationship with the father. But the Greek word that's being used in I have served you is actually the English translation for slave. All these years I've been slaving for you. So he's not seeing him as a, he's not seeing himself as a child, as a son. He's seeing himself as a slave. He has misunderstood what it means to be in a relationship with the father. He has never understood what it means to uh, have his embrace from the Father, to share his affection and intimacy. And you know, you and I can sit here every Sunday and receive God's teaching, listen to podcasts, and yet never really have this revelation that the Father is first and foremost wanting a relationship and intimacy with us. And that's the good news of a gospel for us. So he's not seeing himself as a son. He has an identity issue. He is insecure. He doesn't know that his value is not based on what he does on his performance. His value is based on the fact that he's already accepted by the Father, no matter what he does, no matter what he doesn't do. So a sign of a heart that's sick is a poor relationship with the Father. The second one is entitlement. Entitlement goes like this. I have done this, therefore God, you owe me something. And so often we do this, right, in our own lives when we've made a really series of good choices and we feel like we've done the right thing and uh, we feel like God owes us something, a special blessing or prosperity or protection from sickness or any kind of disease. And often we can start falling into that trap where we get uh, resentment in us because we feel like things tr didn't turn out the, the way they were supposed to because we were so good. Why do... Good things happen to bad people, and bad things happen to good people. I don't know, but sometimes we get so frustrated over this uh, turnout of events because we feel entitled that because I've performed, because I've been a good boy, I've been a good girl, I've made good decisions, therefore God, you owe me something. And if God doesn't uh, meet the end of a bargain, then I have a problem with God then God, you're no longer the God I thought you were. And this is the opposite of Christianity, which is based on grace and acceptance and love in Jesus Christ. So whenever you feel entitlement starting to, to really creep in in your life, 
this is a time to wake up and check your heart and bring it to the Lord. The third sign of a heart that's sick is criticism. I don't know about you, but I do this a lot sometimes when I start feeling insecure about my own personal value and who I am. I start gossiping. I start pointing fingers at what people are doing wrong. Why? Because it makes me feel better about myself. That's the, that's the good thing, right, about looking at other people, what they're doing wrong, is that it makes you feel good about yourself because you're always better than someone. There's always someone who is worse than you, and there's always someone who is better than someone. And that's what criticism does. And that's exactly what the older brother is doing. He's pointing the finger at his younger brother, saying to his dad, I mean, come on, look at the guy. He, he spent all his money on the prostitutes. And here's, here you are putting on a party for him. Criticism. Which also relates to jealousy. Because jealousy and criticism are all part of the same trap of comparison. You see, when you start comparing yourself, it is a dangerous trap where you either look for people who are worse than you so you can feel better about yourself, or you look for people who are better than yourself so you can create pity around yourself. And you start falling into this poor me mentality. You know, it's like, oh man, everything is so sad in my life. There's always something wrong. And you want people to pity you. Oh, I'm just so sorry. Oh, it's just poor you. And it, this is not what the Father wants for us. The Father wants contentment in who He is. So there's a real trap behind all these signs of a sick heart. Here's what Tim Keller in his book, The Prodigal God, which is a book about this parable, uh, this is what he says. To truly become Christians, we must also repent of the reasons we ever did anything right. Pharisees only repent of their sins, but Christians repent for the very roots of their righteousness too. We must learn how to repent of the sin under all our other sins and under all our righteousness, the sin of seeking to be our own Savior and Lord. Wow. You see, sometimes our own righteousness can be a trap. It can be a way to have our own salvation. And we, we bring our own self-righteousness to God, saying this is what I have and this is how I'm going to base my own personal value and salvation on. And this is exactly the opposite of what Jesus has accomplished and taught in the gospel. We need to be able to identify the real motives behind our actions. You see, you and I don't lie just because we're liars and because we enjoy lying. Often we lie because we want to be in control of a story. But so there is a real insecurity, a real desire to be in control, to be our own lords and savior. This is why it leads us to lie. Sometimes we lust not because we enjoy lusting and we really... Uh, immoral people, but because lust help us to not feel so much insecure about ourselves. It helps us control uh, who um, is supposed to be attractive to us and who is not supposed to be attractive. How am I supposed to please people and not please people? So we fall into all these kind of vicious cycles of sins because there's a real desire behind all that to be in control, to be our own lords and savior. And this is where redemption comes in. This is where we need to repent. This is where we need to uh, open our hearts to the Lord and let the Holy Spirit come and convict us and show us what's truly is, what truly is going on in us. So as we look at the younger brother, we see that he is 
picturing what repentance and the road to salvation looks like. It says, he came to himself and he said to himself, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. So you see the younger brother with this realization of his condition, and this is exactly what sparks the return. He is not just feeling sorry for himself. He is coming up with a plan, and he's understanding, I am desperate, I am dying, and if I don't uh, start to shake up all that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be in real trouble here. And you see, repentance is way more than just feeling a little, bit about, uh, a little bit sad about your own sin. Repentance is a complete turnaround. It's coming up with a plan to return to the Father and to turn your life around. And salvation starts by understanding what you need to be saved from. The younger brother knew where he was. He knew his condition. And he, he knew he needed to run away from that. And it's important for us to really uh, notice that aspect of his story because we can be uh, sometimes blinded by the little sins that accumulate in our own lives. And we're so blinded by all that that we don't even know what we need to repent from. And maybe when you were a kid in church, you uh, said a prayer to accept Jesus into your heart, but you never knew what you needed to repent from because you're like, I don't know, I haven't, I haven't killed anyone. I haven't stolen anything. I haven't committed adultery. I haven't done all these things. So I, I guess I may have had some you know, bad, bad thoughts here and there, but all that matters is I can add a little bit of Jesus in my life. But you know, we need to understand that without Jesus, the real destiny that you and I would share is eternal damnation, is eternal separation from God. And I know we don't talk a lot about hell in church, and I, I don't mean this morning to harp on that a lot. But until we understand that what Jesus saved us from is hell, there will never be any wonder for the gospel. You see? Because if you think that all that Jesus saved you from is maybe a kind of a okay lifestyle, that's not going to bring wonder and worship for Jesus. But when you need to, when you understand Jesus saved me from hell. Jesus saved me from uh, what could be an eternal separation from God. Then there's a true sense of awe and wonder and respect for what Jesus accomplished on the cross. And the younger brother had a full realization of his misery, of his deprivation, that led him to make a complete turnaround. I pray this morning that the Holy Spirit will really convict us and will bring this revelation of how much we've been saved from damnation. And I remember a lady in the church, uh, in a church I grew up in France, telling me that when she was a little girl, she attended a Christian camp, probably the equivalent of a VBS. And during that camp, a preacher talked about sin. And she came home and she was crying and started sobbing at home, all because she had lied once or a few times. And that message just completely brought this humility in her heart. And she was so aware of her sin that she needed to repent from. 
And I thought it was such a, a beautiful story that illustrates how much the Holy Spirit can really work in our hearts and bring this conviction of sin that is not supposed to condemn us, but bring us to a new, refreshed intimacy with God, a new sense of awareness of the grace that is found in Jesus. So you may experience this conviction of sin because you're, or God is allowing you to uh, experience the consequences of your sin, but you may also experience that because just the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. Whatever the case, I pray that this can happen uh, in us to bring us closer to Jesus and to grow in holiness. And as the younger brother has made this decision, he was brought back to the father. And I want to talk to you about the father, who in this story is an illustration of what it means to feast on the grace of God. In Luke 15, 22, we read, The father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. We see how the joy of the return of a son overcame the grief of a loss. The father is overwhelmed with joy and wants to show an extravagant grace. He runs to meet his youngest son. And we know that back in the days... These kind of fathers would not run. It was not something of a, a, really of, of dignity. Father would stay home. They would be very respected. There was a sense of uh, awe even for the father in the house. But this father doesn't care about that. He wants to run and express his joy, his love, his compassion to his youngest son. And here he is embracing the son, kissing him, ordering that dignity will be restored to him. And that is a beautiful picture of salvation. You see, whenever there is salvation, there is restoration. There is a sense of restoration. God doesn't just want you to feel better about yourself when you're saved. He wants to restore you. You see, salvation is not just a one-time event. It's a whole process that starts with the life of God being completely infused in you so that you will be restored, so that what's been broken before can be restored as we sung before. And the father is illustrating in this story what Jesus has taught elsewhere in Matthew 9, 13. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. This is what the father desires for us today. Not just performances, not just um, these religious uh, acts of bravery. He desires mercy. He desires compassion for you. He is not looking for you to make up for what you've lost and what you've done wrong. No, he is rejoicing over extending mercy and grace for you. What I love about this story is that not only the father runs out to meet the youngest son, but he goes out to meet the oldest son as well. He could have left him pout outside saying, you know what, so be it. You want to pout, you stay out. No, he came out to meet with him, saying, please, come in, celebrate with us. This is the heart of a father. He seeks us. He pursues us in a relentless pursuit. But I want to end on another truth to consider, and I'm going to ask the worship band to come up at this point. There's another truth that lies behind this story, and it's a picture of Jesus. You see, any 
older brother would have jumped on their horse to go find their youngest brother, to rescue them, to plea with them to come home. But instead, we see in the story that the oldest brother decided to stay home, probably just rejoicing that one of them was in trouble so he could have more, so he could have more attention because of his own obedience. So he stayed home when he should have been out there in the woods, in the deserts, in the forest, looking for his brother, saying, please come home. The Father is looking for you. The Father is desperate to find you. But Jesus is the perfect older brother that we have, you and I, that left heaven to come and find us, that left everything, all the privileges of heaven to come on earth, to be a human being like us, to show us what it means to be found in God. Jesus is his perfect elder brother who came to seek and save the lost as we read in Luke 19 verse 10. And without Jesus, we would never understand. As Philip Yancey said in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, there is nothing you can do to make God love you more and there is nothing you can do to make God love you less. There is nothing you can do to make God love you more and there is nothing you can do to make God love you less. The oldest brother thought, there's a lot I can do to make God love me more. But the father said, no, nothing. Absolutely nothing. You didn't get it. All these years you were here and you had everything. Everything that I have is yours. All I want is communion. All I want is relationship. All I want is for you to benefit from all that. It's nothing. You just need to accept to be loved for who you are. And to the youngest son, he had to tell him, my son, there's nothing you can do that will make me love you less. Nothing. Nothing. And maybe for some of you this morning, that's what you need to hear from the father. My son, my daughter, there's nothing, nothing you can do that will make me love you less. There's nothing. Whatever you've done, whatever your past is, whatever your brokenness is this morning, there is nothing, my daughter, my son, that will make me love you less. You are precious the way you are. You are accepted. Come home. There's nothing. Nothing. And for that to come into our hearts, we need to proclaim, God, there's nothing better, better than you. And both sons had to realize that better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. The youngest son had to learn, man, I can go anywhere else in the world, but nothing is comparable to what I found in the father's house. And the oldest son had to learn the same thing. There's nothing better than just being in the father's embrace, to be in the father's house. May you and I this morning embrace that. Let the Holy Spirit come and use that revelation and bring it to our hearts this morning so that we would respond with love, with worship, as we proclaim this truth of the power of the gospel. God, there's nothing better, better than you. You've turned graves into garden. You've turned my brokenness around and you made me whole. Can we stand up this morning and, and sing together? And I pray that this truth will come deep into your heart and that will, it will really transform your heart. 
but in a way that only God can. Thanks for hanging out with us at Generation. You can connect with us on Facebook or Instagram at Generation Pensacola or go to the website at generationpensacola.com and from wherever you download your podcasts. If today's teaching impacted you, we'd love to hear about it. So please drop us a note.